Another edition of the Game Recognized Game Podcast with RLJ and Kev. I'm KEV, that's RLJ, and we are the gentlemen advancing the melanin evolution, where evolution is revolution. What the deal, homie? Happy Black History Month, Negro. Yeah, man, it is Black History Month, man. You know, the, the, shortest, the shortest month of the year. It's the it's most wonderful time of the year, brother. It's all ours, man. It's all ours, man. Have you um, have you done anything uh, Black History related, man? Outside of just, you know, making it as a Black man in America. Um, I have shown up on all of my virtual calls, uh, with some sort of ode to Black History, whether it's a T-shirt, um, whether it's the colors that I wear. When I finish emails, I'm signing off with a a quote of power and reverence to the black um, contributions to this land. So yeah, I've been I've been making it known, especially with my clients who um, I'm serving as a DEI consultant to. I clearly sent out a DEI message saying, you know, this is the month set aside to recognize the contributions of um, blacks in this country, right? From the establishment of, like, all the things that were developed or uh, manifested as a result of either our work or our ingenuity and sometimes work and ingenuity, right? And so, um, yeah, everyone is aware that I enjoy this time of year. I um I miss my school's homecoming. Um, it was like at the end of January, man. I just wasn't feeling people, but I thought it was kind of dope. Like my whole entire entire uh, collegiate and alum alumnus career uh, with my school, I always kind of wanted a whole bunch of black folks to show up <laughs> and party and have a good time and enjoy seeing each other. And so seeing some of the pictures and things and videos, like that finally happened. But guess what? I wasn't there to take part in it. <laughs> but they Y'all, started calling. So your homecoming is in the spring because you don't have a football team? Yeah, yeah. They, Has Mason ever had a school. football team? Uh, they have a club team that competes like intercollegiately, but it's not um, NCAA Division X, Y, and Z recognized now. They've never had one? Not a, not a formal one, no. Mm-mm. Okay. Nah, nah. But you know, basketball is is ten tends to be the thing at Mason. So they uh, you know, we have homecoming around the basketball game. But what I enjoyed most, man, and I saw somebody kind of post some pictures and they said we out here at Fairfax State University. <laughs> F- F- FSU Fairfax State University, man, because I ain't see nothing, I ain't see nothing but Negroes out there joint, man. <laughs> and, you know, it's all the all the all the uh all the NPAC chapters and stuff had like they big it's a hundred people in 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 the in the chapter pictures and all that stuff, man. And people out there strolling and people out there just really partying, man. And then, you know, they kind of made it a weekend and um had like some Friday night meet and greets and stuff like that. Man, so I'm glad people shout out to George Mason, man. But that was I felt like, damn, that's a that was a good way to kind of kick off Black History Month, man. But I'm like, damn, I wasn't even a part of it. 
But I think I think for me, um, what I gen generally enjoy about Black History Month is kind of just looking at a lot of the contributions of our people that are affiliated with the different organizations. You know what I mean? Whether, mm -hmm. you know, in that, you know, because black history is black history, you know, regardless of, regardless of what Greek affiliation you are, if it's Phi Beta Sigma or Kappa Alpha Psi or Omega Psi Phi or Alpha Kappa Alpha, like, you, you have giants, you have giants in all of those organizations that made significant contributions to the black experience in America, man. And I think that's something that, like, looking at uh, all of the different organizations kind of some of their postings kind of celebrated their celebrating their esteemed uh, mm -hmm. members within mm -hmm. the organization. So Phi Beta Sigma, you know, the, the three members that I'm, the three brothers that I'm really proud of to just be affiliated and apart with is Congressman John Lewis, um, brother Huey P. Newton, and uh, James Weldon Johnson, you know, the, the creator of the Black National Anthem or the Negro mm -hmm. National Anthem, right? So um, I had the opportunity to kind of teach my son about the Black Panther movement because we were listening to a Rick Ross song and the Rick Ross song sampled a Fred Hampton speech. And he was like, well, who's this guy talking at the front? You know, who's this guy talking at, uh, you know, at the beginning of the song? I was like, oh, that's Fred Hampton. He's on, he was in the Black Panther Party and got assassinated by the police. He was like, what? He said, well, what's the Black Panther Party? I said, well, you like Black Panther, right? In the Marvel character, I said, well, it's kind of loosely based on the real, <laughs> the real Black Panther Party. You know, it's kind of satire. Right. And he was like, and he, and he, he had seen um, and read about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and seen different movies about Emmett Till, etc. Uh, but he didn't know. He like legit didn't know about the Black Panther Party. So I'm explaining it to him, like you know, starting in Oakland and started out really as a, a, a true community protection organization, offering free lunches to the community and um, teaching people how to live clean lifestyles and self-defense because in many of the major black communities across the country were being, uh, man, I, I would say ter 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 terrified by uh, the police and, and racism, et cetera. And so me getting, getting the chance to kind of talk about Huey P. Newton and talk about Angela Davis, like he knew about Angela Davis. Oh, that's the, that's the, that's the lady with the Afro. I'm like, yeah, was also in the black Panthers. Mm -hmm. And he like, he, it just didn't resonate. So kind of just explain it to him. And I haven't had him watch a video and read some information on it. And he said, well, you know, there were, there were these chapters all over the country. I was like, yeah, that's the power of, of black folks uniting, you know what I mean? And, and us taking care of each other, you know, but uh, unfortunately, um, standing up for us and, and doing right by us comes at a cost sometimes. Facts. It you does. Know, and, 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 and one of the things that we kind of talked about was, uh, all of, all of our black leaders that, um, were really influential in the in the sixties in the civil rights movement. You know, they gave their lives up for real. And um, you know, not not necessarily to be a Debbie Downer, but I wanted him to really know and understand the significance of uh our contributions and that we have a lot of power within ourselves, but sometimes it it, it comes at a cost. You That's know. true. That's yeah. true. And I think I think, you know, we, we hear this all the time. You know, we talk, we, we hear the theme of sacrifice. We hear the theme about sacrifice in religion, the ultimate sacrifice. We hear 
um, theme of sacrifice in relationships, right? Giving up the eye for we. We hear sacrifice on the job um, in leadership or personal development. You know, I use the law of sacrifice. In order to give up, we must first give up, right? There's going to be some things that we're going to have to give up in order to go to the next level. But the question is, what things have we been given up um, and at what cost? Because a lot of times people are willfully giving things up and they're not aware of the cost until after it's no longer within the grasp of their fingers. And, and we see in hindsight that maybe I shouldn't have given that up. Maybe I could have done something different instead of that. Um, but, but we see this, this theme of sacrifice and, and here lately, you know, we've been hearing things from the media or just from people, how sometimes the sacrifices, you know, you ignoring or going without something, not necessarily giving it up, but choosing to go without something that was never within your hand, choosing to go without that or choosing to go without access to that in hopes of that they'll either see your true talents, that they will eventually come around to see what is in front of them, that they will eventually come to grasp the weight of your presence in their life. And there's so many things that we lose in that space of sacrificing um, that we are unable to gain again. That's that's an interesting point, brother Jay. I was um I was watching um is what it is podcast with, with Cam and Mace, and they were talking about they were asking Maurice Claret. Uh, Maurice Claret is a national champion with Ohio State was a running back, but he tried to uh, become eligible for the draft early because he needed money, and they kind of threw him through the ringer, and he was never able to kind of reach his full potential on a professional level. And um, they were talking about well. Why aren't there more black owners in the NFL? And Maurice Maurice Claret was kind of breaking it down to say, all right, well, one, um, if a team is five billion dollars and you are trying to get uh, majority ownership or partnership with in purchasing a team, generally, you need a billion dollars in liquid assets, like a billion dollars cash. Ain't but so many black folks with a billion dollars cash liquid laying around. If you kind of look at the, the billionaires that we know of, the Jay-Z's, the Oprah's, the Rihanna, you know, at one point, uh, the Ye's, um, LeBron, their billion dollars isn't liquid assets. Their billion dollars are um, holdings within companies, real estate, uh, 50-50 partnerships they have with larger organizations. So even if you say Jay-Z uh, wants to buy an NFL team, nine times out of 10, Jay-Z is going to have to also get probably 10 other blacks with a billion dollars liquid cash, even to have a shot to be considered. But one of the crazy parts that they were talking about in the podcast, man, which, which was kind of ill, I never thought about it that way. He said, yes, yeah, the good old boy network. I'm like, yeah, sure. But then they said, um, you know, the average NFL owner is like, 
80, 80 years old, <laughs> or 78, like 78, 80 years old. And if you're a white man, white man, and you 78, 80, man, you're used to a different time. It's like, oh, well, y'all can run the ball, or y'all can pass the ball, or catch the ball. Oh, y'all might even be able to coach a little bit. Well, we can, we got to be successful, so we got to win, so maybe we'll let some of y'all be GMs or whatever. But y'all can't join the club that own us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can't, you can't be with us to own a team, right? And when you kind of think about that mindset, like Magic Johnson is a minority owner with the Washington Commanders now, but he's he's attached to a billionaire that owns the Philadelphia 76ers, right? And you kind of think, well, yo, if Magic can't own a team with a majority state, why is that? It's because, like, we don't have the liquid assets or the ability to come up with $5 billion just off the strength of, you know, our companies or the money that we're making, we're really, we're really making $10 billion. If we're making $10 billion a year, oh, then we we probably have $3 billion laying around. It just ain't very many of us in that situation. So that's why you kind of see a lot of larger ownership pools, and they might add celebrities or entertainers or other athletes into the mix to say, oh, well, yo, we got black people involved. Like uh, Grant Hill, I think, is part of the ownership group that just bought the Baltimore Orioles, and he's part of the ownership group that owns the, the Atlanta Hawks. Not the majority owner necessarily, because you got to have majority owner money. That's and nine times out of ten, it's probably long, long, long white money. <laughs> and then they brought up, then they brought up Jerry Jones, man, because you know I think Jerry Jones bought the Dallas Cowboys for like hundred and thirty million dollars when he when he first purchased the team. Mm-hmm. And the Dallas Cowboys is the most profitable team. I think it's worth I think it's worth now on upwards of nine billion dollars roughly, which is which is crazy. But he he bought it for 140, 140 million dollars. It's worth nine billion. He had access to one hundred and forty million dollars in the eighties. Well, no black billionaires around in the eighties. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so when you kind of think about it in the grand scheme of things, it's like, yeah, well, you know, if we just keep showing up and we keep showing up. Like Jay Z said it at the Grammys, and like I I, I didn't watch the Grammys. I, I wanted to watch it, but the category for rap album of the year that Killer Mike won, they didn't even show that on TV. I had to see that on YouTube. So I really didn't have an interest in watching the Grammy. So I was kind of pissed about that. But he was kind of talking about, you know, how Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff boycotted the Grammys in 88 because they didn't televise the hip hop, uh, the, the rap album of the year uh, or the rap category. He he boycotted the Grammys in like 98 because they didn't, um, they didn't nominate DMX for any Grammys and he had two number one selling albums in that same year. Um, his 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 own wife is the most accomplished Grammy award winning artist of all time. I think Beyonce has like 32, 33 Grammys, but never album of the year. Taylor Swift has won album of the year four times, I believe. Some of the other heavy hitters that you and I are, are, are near and dear to our heart. Stevie Wonder has won album of the year three times. Think about the kind of artist that Stevie Wonder is. And so you mean to tell me Beyonce got 32 Grammys, never album of the year. And his piece was kind of not necessarily pleading, but pointed it out to, uh, I guess, the, the the Grammy aficionados to say, you know, we we want to be included in those conversations. But then I kind of thought about it, man. I was like, is it counterproductive? Because it's like, yo, you're Jay-Z. And you're just talking about boycotting, you know, the Grammys back in the day. 
and your wife doesn't have an album of the year yet she has 32 Grammys. But even this year, the rap album of the year category and all the rap categories were not even televised. But you but you're getting this award because you are at the core a rap artist. Like it was kind of it was kind of counterproductive. What award did he get? Um, he got the the Dr. Dre uh, Impact Award. So it's like all of the things that you kind of have done in the spirit of music and hip hop. I, I wouldn't. I guess it would be an equivalent of a Lifetime Achievement Award, yeah. etc. Right. Okay. Which okay, cool. And Jay Z, I think, got a couple of Grammys himself. But the weird, the weird thing about it was in his kind of speech, wrapping it up, he was like, you know, well, we just got to keep showing up. We got to keep showing up. We got to keep showing up. And, you know, we got to keep showing up until we get all of the accolades that we get, that we deserve, until people are calling us genius, until people are calling us the greatest of all time. And it's kind of mantra that they've, that we, it rings bells in the streets with black folks. It's like, regardless of the circumstances or how high the mountain is or the tall the hills, the tall the hills that you have to climb, you just got to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. My question is, bro, at what cost though? And when is enough enough? Like you keep showing up, you keep showing up, you keep showing up. And they boycotted the Grammys in 88. In 98, it's 24, it's 2024. And hip hop culture and rap music is the number one genre of music in the world today. And you mean to tell me we can't even get that category on the national televised portion of a program honoring musicians who are at the highest of their heights? And it just got me thinking. It was like, I don't know if he was talking out of two sides of his face or not. But I mean, I got the point and the gist of it. But, you know, we got people out here working nine to five, man. It's like, keep showing up, keep showing up, keep showing up. And in some of these instances, people are showing up to eat shit every day with their jobs and things, man. What, what say you, man? It's like you, you show up, you show up. But if you know what you're showing up to, it's going to be the same that it was yesterday. Like, where's the motivation, the incentive, or or even, like, because I know folks get tired. I equate that question to um, a few things, right? So in one of my many roles, I am a relationship coach. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, I also serve as a divorce mediator. So it's like, ah, I can go either way. I can help you stay together or I can help you separate. And I always ask the question of, well, when is enough enough? And what does enough look like? Because everyone has different levels. Everyone has different tolerance. Everyone has a different amount of patience. What determines when the clock has ran out. What determines when I'm no longer going to accept this behavior? What determines I'm no longer going to allow you to talk to me this way? I'm no longer going to uh, allow mistreatment to be directed towards me because of who I am, because of where I'm from or what I stand for, right? Like, what, what does that look like? And then I think about leaving a job. My manager's not going to change. If I'm in this role, uh, they're not going nowhere anytime soon. I've examined the history of promotion and transfer, and most of the people that I'm working with are kind of content 
coming to work, they do their job and they go home, right? That the job's not asking them to be more than what they are, to do more than what they've produced, not asking them to learn anything, not asking them to go outside of their normal commute. Why change it? And so I have this conversation a lot of times with my clients in the career coaching space. If you know that A, B, C, and D aren't changing, why do you put yourself through this agony of trying to prove other people wrong? Right? I heard one of my clients say, well, you know, I'm not quitting because they expect me to quit. I said, that's the dumbest thing you could have said to me today. So because someone is expecting you to quit, you are in, you are hell-bit on not proving them right. I said, and what's that costing you? The stress that has been manifesting as a result of this has caused your health to decline. Your relationship is suffering. Your children are suffering. And all things connected to you outside of the job are, are suffering. Not to mention your performance on the job is suffering. So you may not leave at, at your own uh, will, but they may performancely uh, walk you out because, oh, this, this is no longer a good fit for you, right? And so it's like all these areas of your life are suffering and you refuse to quit because that's what they, they 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 want you to do. So day in and day out, you're tolerating this toxic environment, letting whatever happens on the inside in terms of your health take place to prove individuals who really don't mean a thing to you to prove them wrong. And don't care about your health. Don't, don't care. care about you because if you drop dead tomorrow, your, your job will be posted in two weeks. Not even that. They got somebody that's going to backfill it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They they already reached out to him. Waiting. And so I always ask the question, especially in relationships. I had one woman. Uh, I met with her first, and then I met with her husband. And her husband basically was saying all the things that were good about the about his relationship, about his marriage. And then he had things that he needed to see changed. And on each of those things, I said, was that present before you proposed to her? He said, yes. Each thing. I said, so tell me why you're thinking that because you got married, these things would disappear. One of the things I always tell my couples is that we can't get someone to the altar expecting them to alter. It's not going to happen. Who you marry is who you marry. Who you fall in love with is who you fall in love with. If there are things that can be worked on, sure, work on them. But if they're making a conscious decision not to work on them, then that's a different conversation. You have to ask yourself, am I willing to put up with this? Because that's the question. Am I willing to accept this person, given the good and the bad, if the bad never becomes good? And if the answer is yes, then you got you to gotta make it work, right? You, you roll on with it. Have the conversation, but if they're not willing to change A, B, C, and D, 
you got to make the decision. Am I okay with that? So don't get married or get into a relationship. Be years in and then get mad because the things that you didn't like at the beginning are now starting to bother you. No, they bothered you in the beginning. You just thought that love conquers all and it, you know, the years will, you know, they'll change and blah, blah, blah. It could be really who they are at their nucleus, right? I'll take it a step further. You know, you knew what the salary was for the job when you when you took it. So getting in and complaining six months in that this ain't enough money for what they're asking. Yeah. You didn't read the other duties as a side part. Yeah. And so... A lot of this, Kev, I will say, is personal accountability. If you get in my car and I tell you where we're going, it's up to you to determine if you want to stay in the car or you want to get out. But once you make the decision to stay in and ride, you don't get to dictate where we're going how we get there, what we listen to, because you're getting in my car. I'm telling you where I'm going, and I'm going to drive the way I'm going to drive. And so now you have to think about, which many people don't, they don't think about what all comes with the decision they are about to make. Even when people get into relationships, I tell people this often, when you are in relation with one person, you are actually in a relationship with the people they are connected to as well. So if I get in a relationship and I don't like their friends or their family, guess what? Nine out of ten chances, the friend and or the family ain't going nowhere. And I got to be willing to put up with that. I make the strong determination because a simple yes is not always a simple yes. I'm saying yes to this person and everything that comes with it. What I know and what I don't know. Now, if there's things that are revealed that I don't know, then I could reevaluate. Am I going to continue to ride this thing out or I'm going to exit the ride? But if I continue to say yes and I continue to go along, I am held accountable for um being unhappy because I made the decision. I'm I and then we as individuals, we play a part in the experiences that we experience. You get in a bad relationship and then you look up and it's nine years later and you're still in the bad relationship. And then you try to play the victim. No ma'am. No sir. You didn't have to stay there. Yes, leaving was hard, or yes, the thought of leaving created anxiety because how am I going to do all of these other things, right? But you've been through harder and you survived. And so choosing to stay in a situation, in a bad relationship, you you kind of made that decision. Yes, it's a, it could be challenging. Or maybe it's an easy thing to do. Am I saying that it's your fault that the relationship is bad? No. Am I saying that um, anyone could leave a relationship? Yes. And it's going to look different for everybody. 
I tell individuals, especially individuals who um, are in, you know, abusive relationships, it's not easy to just decide, oh, I'm a up and leave and, and I'm a, I'm a go. I'm a pack up and I'm a leave. Right. Because you got, how am I going to start over? What does this look like? You form some type of dependency, but it is possible. And by choosing to stay, right, you are partially responsible for the experiences from your yes. Because you made the choice. You made the choice. Whether you didn't think you had a choice or not, right, you always have a choice. I tell my students this all the time. You don't have to do this. You don't have to be in class today. You don't have to take this test. You don't have to pass my class. Guess what? There are consequences for every action and inaction. What you do and what you don't do. What you say and what you don't say. And you're going to have to handle and face and sometimes suffer the consequences thereof. Whether it's something that you did, consequence, cause and effect. Whether it's something you didn't do, cause and effect. There are going to be consequences. And when we subscribe to something, we are subscribing also to the consequences thereof. And yeah, many I people, think, they don't think about that part. Nah, nah, I don't, I don't think so either. But I, but I also think um, that's that's kind of the the million dollar question, right? Um, once you make a decision, you have to you have to deal with the repercussions of it, right? Let's just think about Muhammad Ali as an example. You know, he didn't he didn't go into the draft. Uh, because he didn't believe in the Vietnam War based on religious beliefs, right? He he could have kept his title and kept boxing if he had just went into the draft and went to the army. They would they wouldn't have had him out on the front lines. He would have it, it would have been kind of a he would have been like Captain America. How Captain America came about? It was basically like, uh, hey, I'm in a suit, <laughs> I'm in an army suit. I'm Muhammad Ali. I'm the champion of the world. X Y Z. And he could have he could have kept boxing, but that went against all of his morals and his values and his belief system. But he he had another out. He chose not to go that route. What I don't know, um, I don't know. Did he think about like the consequences of going that route before he did it? Like, oh, they're gonna strip me of my title. They're gonna take away my boxing licenses. I'm not gonna be able to earn a living with my family. Uh, my lifestyle that I was accustomed to is going to change significantly and substantially, and it's going to be a 180. In the next three years of my life, I'm going to lose the prime of my greatest power and ability. Like, if he had known the consequences and repercussions at that time, would he have made the decision? Or like Coretta Scott King said, they took my Martin when he started talking about the money. Right? So when Martin Luther King said, yo, this really ain't about race, this is about economics. And it's poor people everywhere. And if we bring more poor people together, then that's our ability to have greater influence on the powers that be. Poverty is a civil right. You know, it's, a, it's part of the civil rights movement. It's, it's about poverty. And when he started kind of speaking that lingo and talking to people in Appalachia and talk, talking to people in the inner cities, X, Y, and Z, that's when the, the, the target got wider on his back and he gave his life up for it. Did he, did he know? Like, yo, the minute I stopped talking about black and white and I started talking about the haves and the have-nots, my life was going to be in greater danger than what it was. 
And I think when people kind of kind of look back and kind of whitewash those experiences of those two giants, mm. they say, oh, yeah, Martin Luther King was about bringing people together and kumbaya, and he had this dream that it would be equality and blah, blah, blah. Muhammad Ali, he was this kind man that, uh, you know, was, was practicing Islam, was a dedicated Muslim and well-beloved all across the globe. Now, in the height of height, man, people hated Muhammad Ali. And people hated Martin Luther King, black, black and white. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the, you know they they made a choice to to this point, and they decided to show up when probably many wouldn't. But people try to equate that to be, oh yeah, I could have done it, I could have done it. Like you said, man, shoot, you 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 in problem, you got you got problems with your old lady, man. Shit, some niggas don't even want to go home. <laughs> hey, beefing with the girl or whatever, beefing with your old lady, man. Like, I ain't going home right there. I'm not going to go to the bar or something like that, man. Like, yo, so so it's kind of like, yo, the, 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 but it's the decision because in your point, you know, you're talking about relationships. Yo, the elephant in the room got to be addressed at some point. And you and you got to make a decision to to talk about it or address it because if you run from it, the shit only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And so to your point, like, all right, you show up. But understand, like, it's something that comes with it that you got to show up. Because if you weren't willing to show up in the first place, why you get married in the first place? Or why you why you uh, in this relationship with that person in the first place? If there was going to come a time when the rubber needs to meet the road and there's going to be a challenge that's probably greater than y'all ability at that point to show up or not to show up. What are you going to do? And I just think, like, Jay-Z's like, yeah, we got to keep showing up. We got to keep showing up. We got to keep showing up. I think it take a special person to keep showing up, man. I really do. I really, I really do. And this is for this is for for greats and, and sports and activism and relationships and people. Like I really do think it takes a special person to put the the struggle, whatever it is, above their own personal comfort. Mm. Because honestly, the way Jay-Z was talking at the Grammys, I'm like, yo, man, why y'all keep showing up? Y'all must really like the Grammys, right? And then don't nobody really care about the Grammys, but you show up because you want some kind of validation from these people that's not giving you validation in the first place. So you get nominated for eight Grammys and you don't win any of them. And you showed up, which is cool. I ain't knocking it. But what's, what's, what, 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 uh, what, what orange is worth the, the, the squeeze to get the juice that you want? Is it is it is it validation from an audience that's probably never gonna respect what you do anyway, because it's far more of them than it is of you, mm. NFL ownership, for example. You know what I'm saying? Or is it worth it to say, oh, I'm gonna go through this and go through the ridicule of being nominated for ten Grammys and not win any of them, and I'll do it every year in and year out, year in and year out because I love the artistry. And my hope is others will recognize it. That comes with a, a constant decision to make a choice and deal with the blowback and the repercussions regardless of what it is. Now, I, honestly, bro, I look at parenting the same way, man. Like my son, my son be a headache sometimes. And they say, well, you know, as a dad, you just got to keep showing up, keep showing up, keep showing up. And I'll show up out of the love of my son. But it's like, yo, you plucking my nerves, man. Like, yo, what, what, what's this really about? But I'm gonna show up because my son, I value, I value my relationship with my son and my son's success in life more than my my uh my comfort level. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it makes me want to show up, right? 
and it's, but it's also a choice that I, it's a choice that I, uh, I that I'm constantly making. And that's a little different than, you know, people, cause people will give up, people will give up on relationships in a heartbeat, bruh. And so it's like, all right, well, what, what was it really about in the first place? Kind of going back to couples. Oh, and they said something to me. I ain't like what they said. So I'm just going to shut down and be mad at them. All right. Well, how can you say you love somebody if this is, you know, you, you can't, you can't get through the, the, the drama sometimes. And that's the is thing, the right? Is the love not worth the drama? Is the love not worth the choice the, to show pe up? People don't realize. I, one of my friends, we were having a conversation and married twice. A lot of ruined relationships. And I said, you want to know one of your main problems? I'm typically the friend that gathers people. I button it up and I send you on your way. You process it however you want to process it. If you don't want to talk to me again, it's okay. Because what I need to say is going to help you be a better person beyond the moment. Sometimes you can't see beyond the moment, right? And so I said, the problem is anytime you didn't like something, you were never made to sit with it to make an educated decision. I don't like listening to this song on the radio in the car. I'm just going to turn it. I don't like the way somebody's talking to me. I'm just going to turn my head and not listen to it. Oh, I don't like your political perspective, so I'm I'm not going to listen to your side of it. I'm only going to yeah. listen to my side. That That's yeah, who I, we are today as a people, Matt, by the I, way. Because, because I'm entitled to, like, what I'm entitled to. And you can't change that. And if I believe that this is how it's supposed to be and you believe that it's supposed to be like that, I don't have to listen to you. You want to know why? Because now you don't exist to me. I said, and that's how you showed up in all of your relationships. It was good when they was bringing you flowers mm -hmm. and candy. But sometimes they had to give you vinegar and you didn't like it. And instead of saying, you know what, the vinegar, the taste of the vinegar is going to go away after a while, but now I need to figure out, like, well, why does this taste like vinegar to me? What do I need to work on as an individual? Because, like, mm, yeah, that didn't feel good. That didn't sound too good. But let's pull apart the layers and find out, like, mm, what can I take from this? Is there truth to this? But instead of even evaluating or discerning it, you just completely disregard it right then and there. And you don't grow as an individual. So most of the reasons your relationships and your marriages failed were you. Yeah. Because this is how you constantly showed up, not willing to hear what something else or what someone else was saying because it got hard. It was challenging. This didn't feel good. It wasn't always rainbows and unicorns and butterflies, right? Like, oh, no, there's going to be some moments where the wine is going to be a little bitter. And you got to figure out, like, oh, do I go through this or do I grow through this? And you make the decision. But, like, a lot of us have never been forced to, to sit with our decisions. Something is hard. Oh, you don't have to go back tomorrow. I remember my friend telling her child that. I, di I didn't like this today. Well, you don't have to go back. 
I just looked at him. You know, it's not my child. I don't say nothing. When the child is gone, I say, hey, I get where you were coming from, but I need you to look at the bigger picture. The child didn't like this because we saw the child was doing whatever he wanted to do, and the instructor was like, that's not what we're doing today. He thought he was going to play around and do whatever he wanted to do, and the instructor was like, no. You will follow instructions here. This is what we're going to do. And because he didn't get his way, he de- he doesn't want to go back anymore. Well, I didn't like it. So you let him quit. What are you going to do tomorrow when he wants to quit this? Because he doesn't like what the coach said. Or what are you going to do two years from now when he doesn't want to do this and you allow him to quit? He's going to quit for the rest of his life. And yeah, you're probably saying, Ronald, that was three isolated events. But a lot of our adult behaviors come from the patterns we develop as children. And so if my mother or my father or my brothers, my sisters, my friends, my family, my instructors, my coaches never held me accountable, guess what? The second I get in relation with someone and they hold me accountable, I'm leaving. I don't have to do that. And then you end up at the age of 67 with a lot of dogs or a lot of cats (laughs) being the nasty man or the nasty woman in the neighborhood that everybody tries to avoid your house because you didn't want to be held accountable in a relationship. And it was everybody else's fault. It's always everybody else's fault, right? Right. Because there's no growing or developing that I got to do. So I know a few individuals like that. And I told my friend, I was like, yo, don't invite me to your next wedding. Her mom always laughs when I say this. I said, no, I'm serious. This, this, this will be the third one. And you ain't learned shit from the first two. I'm not getting dressed. I'm not wasting an outfit. I'm not buying a gift. You can't bring me a slice of that cake home because y'all had extra cake at the last one and that shit was all right. But I'm not coming until you have decided to be better than who you were in the first two marriages and failed relationships. But nobody around her is going to hold her accountable because all her friends will get in a new dress, will have new wedding, uh, another wedding to get new photos so they can show off on social media, hair, makeup, dress, the whole nine. So this time is on the beach. This time is on the beach. Last time it was on, uh, it was at a cabin somewhere. Yeah. And so it's like, no, you ain't got to be a better person. Just keep having these good weddings, and we we going to stand behind you. And I, I told someone that asked me to be in their wedding, I said, I can't do that. Because as your groomsman, I'm standing behind you, which means I support this. The physical position of me as a groomsman is behind you, which means I am standing behind you, supporting you in what you are doing in that space not just for the wedding, but for the marriage. And you, sir, are not ready to make this commitment. So I won't stand up there in front of all those people knowing all the things that you're doing right now. (laughs) No, no, I can't. I can't. can't. But it's that accountability piece that people are missing. And going back to what we were originally talking about, how long do you stay? A lot of times people will stay 
in an in a relationship or an environment that doesn't force them to grow or to be accountable. My job ain't gonna ask me to do too much. My last role, I'm being very transparent, towards the end, didn't require a lot of me. Because I already did what I needed to do, I did my due diligence early on in the career. And so as I'm transitioning out of my role, they didn't require too much. That's why I ain't make no noise. X, Y, and Z didn't work out. All right. I don't agree with what you just decided on. Guess what? You're not bothering me. I ain't bothering you. I knew I was leaving. So I kept my head down. I did what I needed to do. I'm on my way out. No need to ruffle the feathers and yeah. then cause an imbalance in the plan right now. I stuck to my plan. I executed my plan. I was proud of my plan. When I left, somebody called me that was still there, and it was like, you were very strategic in how you moved. I was. Right? Because, like, I made the decision. Like, yo, I got to go. I'm not growing. I'm not getting the support that I need. I can get frustrated that y'all keep doing the same things that you're doing, expecting new results, or I can just take my talents elsewhere. I'm out. Why stay if I know nothing's going to change? But there are some people who's like, you know what? I know someone who's been in a role for 21 years. And since those 21 years, they may have seen a $15,000 increase. And they were okay with that because they ain't have to do much at work. The check was guaranteed every two weeks, benefits. But then I was like, damn, then you leave in here and then you're going to work a part-time job instead of doing more in your main job to potentially be promoted. But a lot of times people will stay because the accountability is not there. They're not forcing me to do anything. I don't have to grow. I don't have to be better. I can show up as I am. Ain't nobody going to expect me to change and develop. And this is easy. Mm. So to show up when, when you're not being held accountable is easy. Or to not show up when you are being held accountable is the easy out as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it also depends on uh, who you are as an individual and what you want out of this situation. I can't keep complaining that I'm not growing if I'm not taking the opportunity to grow. Because it's not my manager's responsibility to grow, for me to grow. That's it's not their job. Their job is to provide the resources and move things out of the way so that I can. I got to do the work. I tell people, all my therapy clients, my job is to move, help you move things out of your way, but you still got to take one foot and lay the other. My job is to help challenge the way you think or help you consider other possibilities or ways of thinking, not to think for you. Well, what do you think I should do? Let's talk about it. Well, what would you do? We're not talking about me. Because you want the easy answer. You want someone to agree with your performance or your maladaptive behavior. That's not what I'm here for. My job is to remove barriers and, and roadblocks and walls 
so that you can start to think and see and navigate and challenge the way you've been thinking and maybe help you unlearn some things so that you can relearn or learn new things, right? And so it depends on what you want out of the situation, but I think it still boils down to personal accountability. I'm going to keep showing up, but like, what am I going to do when I'm showing up? If I'm going to show up and keep doing the same thing, I can't expect a different result. Because it can't always be the other person that's responsible for this, right? If I keep showing up, expecting them to clap for me, but they never do, why not just go somewhere else where they are going to clap for me? Yeah. And that's the Gram that's the Grammy conversation, right? It's like, all right, well, if we know, hell, they didn't have us on TV 40 years ago. They don't have us on TV today. The hell we then, still showing up for? Yeah. You know what I mean? But I think, but I, I don't, like I said before, I think Jay-Z's comments was somewhat self-serving because of the Rock Nation and all this other stuff. And he he has artists that he manages, et cetera. But um, that same kind of mentality, man, that's 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 basic stuff where I've, I'm just seeing um, us either showing up to not uh, do what we need to do or to show up for this to say to say that we did but not have any results or outcomes from it you feel me i was there i took a picture now i get to post it is that really what you went for i remember right. someone i remember someone saying that to me once our friend went had an award i didn't know what the award was but the fact that she thought it was important enough to invite me and showed me what the award was and like, yo, I'm the first black person to do this. Oh, I sent a text to the group chat. We flying out. We showing up. And one of my friends, one of my former friends said, I only, came for the, I only came for the pictures. <laughs> I said, wow. So in the event that they wouldn't have allowed you to take pictures during this event or like there was no place for you to get like photographed. Like you wouldn't have enjoyed yourself. And then she looked at me. She was like, well, that's not what I meant. That's what you said multiple times. Yeah. Not that I'm here to support my friend who don't know what they did, but they did something to be given this historic award to be the first black person in the institution to get this. You here for pictures. And that's what I think, like, a lot of individuals, when we get invited to spaces and places that we attach prestige or honor or power to, we go just so we can say we went. But why are you going? We not getting recognized, but as long as they let us sit in the back. What? What is oh, the Oh, we point? can go to the after party. Yeah, so I can get free access to this. It's like, what? what are you doing? So I said former friend because I no longer associate with her. After those comments, and I did let my friend know it was a week or two after the event because I didn't want to dampen her evening. It was 26 of us that flew in for this. So we had a good time. It was like a reunion. Some of us ain't seen each other since the last time we were all in the same place 20 years ago. And so a week or so later, I hit her up and we were having a chat. And I was like, let me tell you what one of your homegirls said, I just I just need you to know. And she was like, wow, why would she say that? And I was like, well, I mean, once again, self-serving. 
right? Like I'm only focused on like who can I meet? I'm only coming to find out who I can connect with and what I can get out of this opportunity. And you have those folks, right? So like if you get invited to the Grammys, am I saying not to go? I'm saying make the decision based on your morals and values of how they treated individuals that look like you for so many years. Right? Because you can have the number one selling album across the world and be recognized in other countries. But if you don't look like the people who the Academy was formed for, you know, no, 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 no. You hey, can man, play on 98. In 98, DMX had two of those. <laughs> you can play on the field, but you can't own it. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. No, no, no. You can manage it. You can't own it, though. No, we'll let you rent it. You can't, uh-uh, no, you can't own it. Buy it out, We'll let you no. rent it out to throw a party. Yeah, we'll let you th rent yeah. it out to throw a party. Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah, but you, no, no, no. This, this, this can't, it can never belong to you. And I think that's the lesson. A lot of these spaces and places we trying to get into will never belong in. Right, we and I don't think that's you being. I don't think that's like us being negative, man. And like that's just the cold, hard, hard reality. You know what I'm just saying? Just the reality. Like, yeah. stop forcing yourself into spaces. Or I heard this analogy a long time ago, and I married my mind to it. Stop forcing yourself or fighting to get to tables that Jesus would have flipped over. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. I'm gonna be the first one. Maybe you don't need to be. Maybe you should be someone that creates their own. And so that someone doesn't have to be the first. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, brother Kev. Kings yeah. and kingdoms. That's 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 the that's the truth right there, man. That is the truth right there. But you know, on a, on another note, man, happy Black History Month, man. Yes, One sir. black man to the next, man. We we out here trying to get it. Out here trying to get it. Uh, for those who have not uh, checked out the Bourbon and Books series, I uh, got a, a great discussion on Voices in the Mirror, Gordon Parks, autobiography. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out, man. And if you're listening to us, man, go and like, go and like our Instagram page, go and like our Facebook page, like our, uh, like the, like the, like the different uh, episodes on all of your platforms man uh reach one teach one share one especially if it's something that inspired you we hope it did we, we hope it does uh and with that being said man we are the game recognized game podcast with rlj and kev i'm kev that's rlj and we are the gentlemen advancing the melanin evolution until next time be like be like